And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. This is The Athletic Baseball Show on the Athletic Podcast Network. Green light 3-0 and she's gone! Welcome to The 3-0 Show, part of The Athletic Baseball Show. It's Thursday, September 8th. Derek Van Riper here with Eno Saris. Hopefully back to a three-player booth next week but we've got a lot of good stuff lined up on this show today it seems like injuries are really starting to wreak havoc on some of the contending clubs we'll talk about the situation with Max Scherzer for the Mets Anthony Rizzo Tony Gonsolin who was a notable omission from our NL Cy Young discussion last week also dealing with an injury so we'll dig into some of those situations we're gonna talk about the AL Central grind it's the division that maybe is appropriately overlooked in conversations about potential World Series contenders, but it's a division where no one can get separation. And as we know, all it takes is punching your ticket into October to become a dangerous team. So maybe there's a sleeper team lurking in the AL Central if we can find someone that will actually win the division in the next few weeks. We're also going to take a look at some major power shifts for teams from last season to this season. Of course, the league as a whole down in slugging percentage. So teams that are up in slugging percentage in the face of that have significantly improved somewhere, so we'll dissect that. We'll look at the bottom side of that leaderboard as well. Take a look at some teams that have really lost a ton of power since last season. So, you know, we begin in New York today. Max Scherzer is back on the injured list. They're calling it left oblique irritation. And all the reports right now point to this being more of a a days instead of weeks, likely to return after the minimum stint on the IL. So for now, David Peterson rejoins the rotation for the Mets. And given the situation that every single game matters as they continue to battle the Braves to win the NL East, I wonder how they're going to make this actually work. If they're going to push Scherzer back on that short timetable or if they're going to try and be a little more careful with them. We know Scherzer's the kind of guy that always pushes himself about as hard as anyone can be pushed, but this could be a pretty impactful injury if it's not handled correctly. Yeah, and you know what makes it so difficult I think for the Mets is just that you know, they don't have that big lead in the division anymore. They are tied with the Braves and the division is a big deal with the with the current format. You could find yourself out after two games and they just don't want to be in that situation. Uh they want to to win the division and it makes it harder to make these decisions because then you have to say, well, we also want to win in the postseason and we're going to need Max for that. And the thing about the oblique that's the worst and how that fits into this decision-making process, from what I gather from pitchers, the oblique is just one of those things where you're like, you just wait till it doesn't hurt. And how do you know it doesn't hurt? Well, you got to get up on the mound and, and, and try a bullpen. And then, ah, it still hurts. So we're going to go through the cycle probably because a lot of the stuff ends up in the news where it's like, Max is going to throw a bullpen today and see how it feels, <laughs> you know? And and fans will be kind of on pins and needles hoping that he comes out of each bullpen session feeling feeling good and ready to go. So uh, it's just a touch and feel the sort of thing. I think the good news about the Mets is to, to a large extent, I think they did a good job of creating depth in the in the in the post in the in the offseason. I think they did a good job of, you know, acquiring enough starting pitching that they were in a good spot when this sort of thing happens. David Peterson, I I you know, he, in in past years I feel like he would have been the Mets fourth starting pitcher to start the season. And then when somebody had gone down, they would have been, you know, really sort of scrummaging through the bottom end of their bin. Having David Peterson as a sixth or seventh starting pitcher this year has been huge for them. And just look how much he's pitched. You know, 
He's he didn't he hasn't really been a top five pitcher for them. He has ninety five innings. I mean that's how that's how important your sixth starting pitcher is. So I think they'll be okay with Carlos Carrasco, uh, you know, back and David Peterson in there uh, and Degrom back, you know, and and Bassett and Walker still there. That's a that's a good five. Some one more injury. We'll begin to test it. I still, you know, Trevor Williams is okay for a spot start or two. But if it's a longer-term injury, uh, that bullpen, that that starting rotation will start to get taxed a little bit. Yeah, and the way they built this team, too, they've got a little more bullpen depth than they've had in years past as well. So if they have starters you know, come playoff time that can only go four or five, they might be in a better situation now to deal with that. Uh, DeGrom, by the way, has been fantastic <laughs> since coming back. It's only been six starts. He has a 55 to 3 strikeout to walk ratio. It's a 198 ERA and a 0.55 whip. It's actually the same whip that he had last year over 15 starts. I'm not sure I've seen a pitcher sustain a level like this, even over what amounts to basically two thirds of a season. I realize it's broken up over parts of two years, but sometimes with Jacob deGrom, I, I feel like it's it's almost like with Otani where I think I've found the ceiling. I think I've figured out like how good he can be. And then he somehow finds another level and he's doing it despite being 34 years old now. Uh, I mean, it's ridiculous. In 2016, uh, he was 28 years old. And most aging curves say around 28, you start to lose fastball velo. In 2016, he was throwing 93.4. Then it went to 95.2. Then 96, 96.9, 98.6, 99.3. It's 99.4 this year. He's 34 years old. I do think that there's a little bit of a risk associated with that where he's throwing pretty close to his maximum. He's out there throwing as hard as he can for five innings, and that does put wear and tear on your elbow. There is research out there that says the closer you throw to your maximum velo, the more stress you put on your elbow. So, I, you know, it may not be a, a total coincidence that over those years he's gone from throwing 200 innings a year uh, to uh, 92 last year and 36 so far this year. The other thing I've always thought was pretty interesting about DeGrom and his story is that he was a shortstop, I believe, until his sophomore year of college at Stetson. Then he converted to Sometimes pitching. Sometimes closer. He was like a shortstop closer guy. Yeah, and he lost time to Tommy John surgery back then. So his actual age versus his pitching age are, are pretty different. He's got a lot less mileage than the typical 34-year-old pitcher. Yeah, is there such a thing as ligament age? <laughs> I think there should be. I mean, (laughs) the way people always describe elbows and and shoulders, you know, it's kind of like a rubber band and that elasticity over time starts to fade and then eventually there's a a tear or it just kind of settles into this very comfortable, uh, extremely high quality rubber band and guy stays healthy, which is the the best case scenario. But uh, I think that's sort of part of how did Jacob deGrom get to this level? Well, he started pitching a little bit later. That might explain how he's able to do this. It's amazing. And I think here's the key. Here's here's why I think it relates to Scherzer. The Scherzer addition back during the winter gave them so much protection against lost time from DeGrom. If one of those guys is not healthy, they're still a World Series contender. Ideally, mm-hmm. you've got them both healthy. But, you know, Scherzer down right now, DeGrom's healthy. They can be fine. They can still stay in the race for the NL East. They can still win the NL East, even if Scherzer misses a handful of starts in September. And I think Scherzer being there for most of this season while DeGrom was out is a big part of why their rotation was so strong. Because not only did they add depth, but they added that quality to have the best one-two combo in the entire league when both of those guys are around. It's a slightly different scenario in Los Angeles, of course, where they've had the same sort of uh, you know, injuries in terms of losing Tony Gonsolin, uh, losing Walker Bueller for the year. Um, you know, they've had they've had their own run-ins. Uh, Kershaw being uh, their Degrom, who's uh, oft injured but excellent when in, uh, and they've managed to stick with it mostly because of their internal pipeline. This is a team that traded away Mitch White. You know, from their starting pitching depth and still is able to, you know, debut Dustin May, who 
is you know at least has the upside of being an ace's ace and then you know also having ryan pepio and michael grove and um you know just and they that doesn't even mention bobby miller who throws 100 in in triple a so you know they they're doing pretty good when it comes to turning out uh major league pitchers um you know you can see that in Julio Urias at the top of their uh, of their rotation right now. That's a, that's a homegrown guy, and then Andrew Haney is a guy who came in from another organization is having, I probably yeah his best year. So um, you know this is a an organization that has a, a good head on its shoulders when it comes to pitching, pitching development, pitching coaching, um, and they've managed to uh, you know sort of write the depth and have enough have enough depth uh, to survive. Uh, you know, more pitching, more pitching injuries. However, that said, like how many, you know, they too may be uh, tested by one more pitching injury, you know, because right now with uh, Gonsolin and Bueller out, uh, the next injury uh, means that Ryan Pepio, who has poor command, um, you know, is relied on for the rest of the season and maybe on the postseason roster. Uh, that uh, that makes them a little bit worse, but um, I think it's they obviously have such a padded padded lead in the division that uh, it's not quite the same thing as the Mets. Yeah, yeah, they can rest if they need to. They can be careful with guys like Heaney. They can be careful with Tyler Anderson's innings if they want to be. I think that's the good thing just about the timing uh, of May coming back is they can use Dustin May like a regular starter all the way through September into October. And that's actually a good thing for him. I know his third start back from Tommy John against the Padres last weekend was the first time he's been knocked around really at all since even beginning the rehab assignment. His rehab assignment was completely absurd as well. But a healthy Kershaw, Urias, May, that trio alone is really good up top in the playoffs. Assuming Gonsolin makes it back, he's obviously part of that mix as well. And someone asked us on Twitter, I don't have the name in front of me, but why was Tony Gonsolin omitted from the NL Cy Young conversation last week. I think it's just because he lives in the sweet spot just below the cutoff on all the things we were focusing on. It's not because he hasn't had a great season. It's because for each thing we were sorting by, we were looking at the top five, top seven, top 10 arms, and he falls short. Now, if you sort by ERA and wins and some of the things that have traditionally led pitchers to win Cy Young awards, of course, Gonsolin pops in that regard. And also just for like on the field for the Dodgers has been huge. I don't think that means... You know, hand in the Cy Young, but like, you know, hand in the team Cy or like that, you know, hand in the team MVP, like maybe like he's been that important to them. So I, I understand both sides of the sentiment, which is, hey, he's undervalued. You guys disrespected him. And then B, I don't know. He's just not there when it comes to innings pitch strikeouts, you know, or any of the war figures. Um, but uh, that doesn't mean he wasn't any good or, or any uh, at all uh, important for this team. The um, the thing that's popping in my head right now that's really uh, kind of interesting to this discussion is that uh, there is no correlation between uh, a team's record in September and how they do in the in the playoffs. That might have to be redone soon because if you think about it, September used to be really like the weirdest month of the season. Well, yeah, when massive roster expansion was a thing, you could load up on bullpen arms. And it was something that the Brewers, as one example, I know there's other teams that did well. Hey, I, that's my job here. I know. <laughs> that's what I do. No, you but put I was that one on the Brewers. team. I was thinking Brewers. <laughs> I mean, they were calling it Craig Timber for a while because they'd bring up extra pitchers and then they would pull starters early in games and just march out a parade of good relievers that teams really hadn't seen. And it worked. And not being able to lean as much into your depth, I think, does change the way the last month of the season plays out now. But you're right. I think it's worth you know, revisiting that. It's also, it's a month just like any other month can be good or bad. And timing is everything. And you can flip the script. You know what I mean? Like, remember, just remember how we love the Yankees and how we're they're on pace to break the wins record. And, you know, and then... A month later, like, is this the same team? Like, what is going on? And so I think that's part of it. And the other part of it is just um, think about the things we're talking about right now. We're talking about how important David Peterson is. We're talking about Ryan Pepio's command. <laughs> I think a lot of that doesn't matter in the playoffs. 
Yes, you make the roster smaller. You make the roster smaller. You use your your best pitchers as much as possible. You do with the like think about the the postseason that the Nationals had where they were like, uh, we don't have a good bullpen. Well, 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 we have a plan for that. <laughs> we do have good starters. We're just gonna use them over and over again. <laughs> they think bullpen in one of those series. I think their bullpen in one of those series pitched like three innings. <laughs> So, the luxury of great starting pitching. So imagine trying to project that where you're like, well, you know, their bullpen's not that good and the defense is not that good. And they're not going to win this series. <laughs> oh, well, they didn't use their bullpen <laughs> and their starters didn't allow a ball in play. So, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's still to me, if you look at a team that has three top 15, top 20 starting pitchers, that team is always going to be a pain to deal with in October. Yeah, like if they get Scherzer right, the Mets are still definitely a World Series favorite. I mean, or favorite, contender, whatever word you want to use. Like they can still win the World Series because Bassett, Scherzer, DeGrom, like, bam. Nasty. It's nasty. Yeah, and it's not just those three. They've got a little extra help behind those guys, too. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? (laughs) You mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. I think September is always a reminder that the season is just an absolute grind. And one thing that I've wondered a lot about with the Yankees is if they just had pretty favorable health outcomes throughout the first half and have had Mm. normal or slightly less than favorable health outcomes in the second half. We know with the makeup of that roster being a bit older, this was something that I I, I questioned on the show a lot. uh, That, to be fair, like in the preseason, we did talk about the the one Achilles Hill being their age, for sure. Yeah, and it it seems like it's just catching up to them more now. It could... Injuries are random in terms of timing, usually. They can happen at any time, and Anthony Rizzo is on the IL right now, and it's another way that the Yankees are being tested. Luis Severino's been on the 60-day IL in the second half. It's a long list of of issues they've they've been dealing with. It's a back injury for Rizzo... He was supposed to be back from that, and then headaches actually have become the issue that have kind of kept him on the IL and are leading him to further tests. So their lead continues to shrink in the AL East. You know, a few weeks ago, we talked about the Rays pitching still making them one of those dangerous teams that could close the gap. But both Tyler the Rays- Glass now, rehab start tonight. Oh. So excited for that. Mm-hmm. The Rays plus the Jays, you know, closing the gap. Orioles still hanging around. A lot of games against Toronto for them. We've talked about that on the show a bit as well. But the Yankees are now in this situation where they've called a few young players up. You know, Oswaldo Cabrera, Oswald Peraza, both factoring in. And it's really Peraza and Marwin Gonzalez who are going to play more during this absence for Rizzo because they move DJ LeMahieu to first base and then usually play Peraza somewhere up the middle, mostly at short. So anyway, the Yankees depth, is it as good as it's been in past years uh, across the board? This is something they've done pretty well for a long time. They've had those those next players up for a few years. It was Clint Frazier. Miguel Andujar is still there. Uh, do you trust them? Gio Urshela a few years ago. Do you trust the guys they have in those spots to fill in capably really in the heat of what has become a surprisingly close AL East battle? No. <laughs> I'm sorry like you know uh, uh Oswaldo Peraza is um a a fourth infielder or like a fifth infielder to me. Um, you do not like that player. Uh that profile at least. Not personal, it's a profile. No, thing. it's just um I I think that the uh, the slugging numbers are all uh speed based. 
I don't think he hits the ball very hard, and he also makes uh, he doesn't make a lot of contact. So it's just a that's a poor combo for me. Uh, the defense is pretty outstanding, and so in short stints, um, you know, as a as a depth player, maybe it's okay. Um, here's a, a thing for you though, Anthony Volpe. He's in AAA. Yes. There's a guy who hits the ball hard. Plays shortstop. Is supposedly the shortstop of the future. I actually don't know the answer to this question. The question is, should they call him up? The answer, I think, is super complicated because you don't want to rush a guy. You know? You use Oswald Peraza because you don't think he's necessarily shortstop of the future. (laughs) So you're like, we need a guy. Come on up, you know? Uh, You treat Volpe carefully. You don't want to bring him up and have him fail in his first opportunity. And then next year have to be like, and now our starting shortstop of the future for the Yankees this year is the guy who failed last year. (laughs) And I think it, I think it, it, it matters more in New York, these types of discussions, because if Anthony Volpe comes up in Pittsburgh and has the first month that O'Neill Cruz had in Pittsburgh, no one's talking about his exit velocity. Or if you are talking about his exit velocity, everyone's shouting you down about how he's striking out too much and he sucks and this and this and this and this. O'Neill Cruz in Pittsburgh has turned his season around and is striking out less and is hitting homers. He hit a homer with a broken tooth the other night and like he's he had four the four highest exit velocities by the Pirates in last night's game. The dude is is figuring it out. If Volpe had the same, if you did, you pulled him up and Volpe had the same sort of beginning right now for the Yankees, uh, I don't know. I could just see MLB Network exploding and Yes Network and SNY, like everybody, everybody, the back pages. Oh my God. I can't even cut, I can't even do it fast enough, but it's like a Volptastrophe or like, (laughs) you know, like the back, they always have like the, 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 uh, the puns with his name, you know. Volptastrophe. <laughs> that's a that's a really awful Not one. By the way, <laughs> they're good at that. They're better than that at me. <laughs> the content is questionable, but the headlines are top notch. <laughs> anyway, um, so uh, you know, if I were the Yankees, I'd be talking about at least like Volpe's in AAA. He's had a great year. He's he's doing things that Peraza doesn't do. This team needs offense. This team was already, you know. Uh, sometimes going away from kind of Falefa, the, the you know the the fan base is already calling for uh, Peraza to start over kind of Falefa. If I can uh, use Twitter as a proxy, I can't always. That's not always correct, but it is a place where fans come together and talk. So you know they're already calling for Peraza over kind of Falefa. I am just calling for Volpe over Peraza. Well, there's a few things we can do. There's a apples to apples comparison you could make if you want to look at. Production at double A this year from Volpe compared to production last year at the same level from Oswald Peraza. Their WRC plus numbers at that level almost identical. Volpe 122 this year, Peraza 122 last year. Actually, they were identical. So there's that. You have to consider that Peraza played at triple A and didn't fall on his face. He was a little better than a league average player and he's young for the level there. Volpe just got there. Volpe just got there. So if if you're going to promote Volpe ahead of Peraza when Peraza has been a level ahead of him and produced oh, the same level the entire time. That matters too, actually, because the players know about that. And they care about that and they think there should be an order to things. Oh, there's, I mean, there's that aspect of it. There's also the legitimate who's better right now. Even mm. if you as an organization believe Volpe's the better long-term player, who's better today is a more complicated question mm-hmm. based on the information you have. Peraza being one level ahead, age to level production at double A, where I think it matters more. But than also, AAA. the shape of that WRC plus matters, dude. Just because they had a, a one twenty two WRC plus, they were both twenty two percent better than league average. Doesn't mean that the shape was the same. You know, Volpe had a seventeen percent strikeout rate, and Peraza had a twenty four percent strikeout rate. Yeah, that's a good point. That would be something that would make me inclined to want to play Volpe. That's what I'm I saying. Think 
And defensively, this was the other part of it. Keith Law brought this up on the Friday episode of this pod last week. Volpe's a great defender at short, so it's not like you're giving something up defensively, giving him that opportunity, going from Kiner Falefa to Volpe, or even going from Peraza to Volpe, right? You're still you're still gonna have a premium defender at a key position. So you're taking a chance, sure, uh, gambling on someone who hasn't played in the big leagues yet. But I think in the face of a team like Atlanta, especially bringing up Michael Harris and Vaughn Grissom and have both of those guys playing well, why can, how do you why not? Why the Braves do it, not the Yankees? You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, that, that just seems pretty weird to me. And I also think there's a player development question here. Is failing at the big league level so toxic to a player's long-term psyche that you can't risk it or shouldn't risk it when the alternatives are comparable that's i mean no that that's a legitimate question because i mean everyone i think that everyone says uh we want to put our players in a position to succeed right so that's the flip side of what you're asking which is you know but if we think he might fall on his face should we do this to him but if you ask him, he's like, yo, I'm ready. I'm coming. Right? <laughs> so maybe, you know, think about that, too. <laughs> Using a common example from the show from the past year plus now, Jared Kelnick. How much of Jared Kelnick's 2022 struggles were the result of Struggling debuting in 2021 and getting sent down and, and having this sort of up and down arc to the early part of his career? Like, does that does that make things worse? I think this ch- question has also changed uh, recently in that um, we have now TrackMan all the way up and down the minor leagues. So I think that uh, in terms of when you arrive at the big leagues, it used to kind of be like, okay, we'll pitch him low and away until we know what he can do, right? Um, and you know now it's more like, nah, man, we got full scouting reports on this guy. Volpe gets up there, they're going to have holes on him, you know? So... You know, Jared Kelnick coming up and, and start struggling. That was because they like teams already had scouting reports on and said, you know, struggles with the breaking ball, like throw them tons of breaking balls. And so, so then it doesn't matter, right? Then it doesn't matter when you bring them up because they got the scouting report on him. And it's not like you can hide him. It's not like you're going to hide him and like, oh, we, we brought Volpe. Nobody knows who he is. They don't, nobody's got any scouting reports on him. Oh, he'll take the take the world on fire, you know. No, you're the Yankees, you know, <laughs> the Rays. No, but Anthony Volpe, they had guys watching him for, for just in case this might happen. You know? Yeah, so. they're they're prepared. The other the other teams <laughs> you're going to see, the, yeah, Anthony Volpe's not sneaking up on them. That's right, it's not how it works. I do think the the Kelnick example and and you know, other other players that have, have gone up and down a little bit to begin their career. It's so easy to write players off in situations like that, but. If the best chance to win is to gamble on a month of a player, I would take that chance because you have an entire offseason to fix the flaws. Like it's not They're not the Mets too. They're not tied. There's a five game lead. Like they a little cushion. It's a little bit of enough that I would say, hey, let's do this. Let's see. Volpe might be the best shortstop we've got for the postseason too. What else is possibly going wrong with the Yankees besides health? Is there anything else you've noticed that would give you some pause about this team because to me I'm a, I'm chalking this up to injuries almost entirely. Their offense uh is is weirdly silent uh in the last 30 days. I was really surprised by how bad it's been. Their offense is third worst in the last 3 days by WRC+. Some of it's papered up uh papered over by um you know having an offensive park that you know they've scored uh, more runs than some of the teams around them at the bottom. Um, but 81 runs in the last 30 days. I mean, compare that to St. Louis, 161 runs in the last 30 days. Uh, again, just because they have a bad month doesn't mean they can't turn around. And they've had a good offense, you know, through much of the season. But uh, when I when I look at this team in the last month, you know, it's funny, people... Uh, we've I've had this discussion online with some people where you know they said oh it's uh, there's only two batters in the lineup in any night you know it's seven holes and uh, like uh, my first reaction is well that's hyperbole <laughs> like, that's, yeah that's that's where my mind tends to go when that's not what I think of when I get I a complaint of from the Bronx 
But in the last 30 days, the only players that are above league average by WRC Plus are Aaron Judge and Andrew Benintendi. Aaron Judge has a 20% walk rate, too. So teams are pretty much walking him. And Andrew Benintendi's hurt. So now you say, oh, man, it's Andrew Judge and a bunch of zeros. Well, those zeros are uh, Josh Donaldson, who floats around league average. That's not a full zero. That's like a, a guy who can still hit homers for you. Anthony Rizzo, who's been better than league average most of the season, but maybe hurt recently. DJ LeMayhew, uh, who uh, is a better than uh, is a better than average per player, who's been playing with a negative five WRC plus, which means he's a hundred and five percent worse than league average in the last month. It's hard to go into the red in WRC I, it's plus. Really, really rare. Um, uh, and uh, Aaron Hicks, who is ninety five percent ninety five percent worse than league average in the last uh, thirty days, and then Giancarlo Stanton, who's also negative, who has a one hundred five two hundred nine one hundred five slugging in the last thirty days. Of course, that's only forty three plate appearances, come back from injury. Those are not zeros. You know, you don't say like true talent. Those are good players. You know, so. Is it the Stanton just coming back off an of injury and Rizzo being injured? And I think there's a, actually an injury factor for LeMahieu too that people have been talking about his hip. So maybe you just have, uh, you know, three really good players that would extend your lineup and make you better. Uh, and Matt Carpenter maybe being a fourth that are that are all hurt right now. So I think that your original assessment was right. Yeah, I do think the injuries on the pitching side have been significant as well. So you have to factor that into how this slide has happened. And I think with Judge having the kind of season he's having, kind of a historically great offensive season, you can look at this lineup and say it's really top-heavy. The question you have to answer is, will guys like Donaldson and Hicks, will those veterans who have underperformed, will they actually step up at the right time? And that's a huge unknown for me. I think I have pretty limited confidence in Donaldson right now. He's been just a tick below league average, so he's not ruining them. But I don't think he's bouncing back to 30% better than league average Josh Donaldson. I don't think that guy's walking through the door anytime soon. Yeah, I wonder if he's nursing injury or something because that's a pretty fall, pretty big fall off from 26% better than league average last year with a 4.75 slugging to below average with a 3.75 slugging this year. It's pretty large of a drop and they will get Harrison Bader on the field uh, eventually too. the trade deadline acquisition of course he was on the IL so you bring him into the fold maybe you get a little more from him offensively than you've been able to get uh, from that roster spot like not from center field because judges play a lot of center field but uh, just having Bader maybe helps give them a little bit of a boost a little bit of athleticism nice run prevention of course in the outfield as well but it's been been a strange couple of months uh, for a team that looked like they were going to run away with that division. If you're not scoring, I think this would be this Rizzo time would actually be a perfect time to to bring up Volpe because um, you're going to move uh, you're going to move Lemayhew to first, um, and you're going to if you have Lemayhew at first, Torres at second, you're going to have a, a defensive vulnerability, which I think can be solved by Oswald Peraza, but with Kiner Falefa, LeMahieu, Torres, Donaldson, Hicks in the lineup every night, what you're really looking for is an offensive upgrade as well. So I say bring up Volpe, make Kiner Falefa and Peraza the floaters, and just start Volpe every day and see what happens. I think Stanton is your uh, your regular who's most likely to surge up to some sort of like pre-2022 level. Yeah, he's still barreling the ball, you know, 18% of the time is right in line with his regular stuff. He's he's not striking out over 30% of the time yet. Uh yeah, I could see him just starting to hit some lasers. And then and, and that could change the conversation pretty quickly. <laughs> yeah, that would go a long way. Are you struggling to close deals? B2B selling is tougher than ever, and that's why I want to tell you about LinkedIn Sales Navigator. One more great product from LinkedIn. You're there to network, you're there to look for jobs, you're there to post jobs, 
And how about LinkedIn Sales Navigator? It's a sales intelligence platform that helps professionals effectively prospect and engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator helps you target the right buyers, surface key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and shows you hidden allies so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date, first-party data enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash baseball show. That is linkedin.com slash baseball show for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash baseball show and get started. Let's talk about the AL Central, a division that has been a grind all season long. Just no separation right there as you look at the three teams vying for that division. Guardians enter play. We're recording this midday on Wednesday. The Guardians enter with a one and a half game lead over the Twins. They're up three on the White Sox. Clearly, all three teams still alive despite sliding the Guardians. I think we're two and eight in their last 10 at last glance. They've been unable to open up a lead with an opportunity to do so as you look at these teams I think we were talking about the Guardians maybe six weeks ago on this show and I thought they were kind of sneaky because they do have good pitching when everything's going right Shane Bieber's not quite pre-injury Bieber but he's still very good Tristan McKenzie has taken a big step forward and I thought Cleveland might be one of those teams that in September was going to push up a few more top prospects I'm a little surprised they didn't do it because they have impact players available. Cody Morris working out of the bullpen right now could end up being a very good arm for them in the long run, maybe more of a multi-inning reliever in the short term because of all the time that he's lost. But starting with Cleveland first, what has been the problem for them in a window where they could have opened up a bit of a lead in this division? I think there's a little bit of a limitation on the style of baseball that they're playing, which is you know hitting a bunch of singles. If you look at singles as um, an entity, just a statistical entity. They are the least easy. They're the hardest uh, single stat to kind of predict in any given year, you know? So another way, another way of saying it, singles come and go, you know, guys who hit homers, hit homers, guys who hit singles, sometimes hit 330, sometimes hit 280, you know, and that doesn't seem like a big deal, but that's a big difference because you have to hit a lot of singles to be the same value as a homer. Um, and so I just see this offense as sort of coming and going. Um, I still love Nolan Jones. Um, you know, I think he did all the right things when he came up, which was, um, you know, not chase balls, hit the ball hard, um, and, you know, have more sort of raw power than most of the other players on the team, but they sent him back down and, uh, instead they're, you know, running Oscar Gonzalez out there who, you know, chases a lot, doesn't hit the balls hard, um, but has been fortunate when it comes to balls in play, and so therefore has a higher batting average. But I don't, I don't know if that's necessarily continue. And in some ways, I think I'd rather have Nolan Jones in the long run than Oscar Oscar Gonzalez, and maybe even in the short run. So that's a, just a, t- a typical kind of what you're talking about in terms of they could be calling Nolan Jones up, they could be calling George Valera up. Um, you know, who does struggle sometimes with making contact, but makes hard contact when he makes contact, uh, and has been having a pretty good year uh, between AA and AAA and could be considered ready by a lot of people. Uh, and then they also, in, on the starting pitcher side, they, um, they have Daniel Espino, who people think has ace-like upside. Um, and he's pretty close, but no rumors of him coming up. No, and I think the the problem is you bring guys up now, they can't play in the postseason, right? You you missed the the cutoff. So mm-hmm. that's the other thing that's really puzzling because I thought, oh, you're not going to do anything with the trade deadline. You're, you're going to hold these prospects. You must intend on using them, bringing them up for the stretch run, trying to make a run and saying, this is our next great core. Andres Jimenez has been excellent, kind of giving them another high quality bat to support Jose Ramirez, but that lack of power is definitely... A problem. You look at the way this team produces offensively, and I would say the 
the most recent successful team, and by successful, I guess I mean the most recent team to win a World Series with an offense that looks like what the Guardians have right now are the 2015 Royals. That's mm. that's what they're sort of mimicking in yeah. terms of their their offense and their their position player builds overall, right? It's more speed, defense, and hit tool than than thump, and that's pretty unique in this game. And I think the other thing that this team has in common with the 2015 Royals is a ton of great relievers. They could march out a parade of three or four just A-level relievers that can blow the doors off a lineup. So I do look at the Guardians as one of those teams that could be surprisingly dangerous in the postseason. I don't think they're the team you'd fear the most of, of, of the fringe playoff teams, but they're they're not a pushover if they get in. And they've got some experience in October as well on the roster, so it's not... It's not like they're the team that just made it up there for the first time that that might wilt a bit under those bright lights. It does strike me as maybe kind of an Asian team where they uh, are built more for regular season wins uh, than for the postseason. I just, you know, when you when we talk about matching guys up, uh, you know, I think Shane Bieber it's probably not as good as a lot of other teams aces, but also very good. So maybe you can call it a wash in a lot of matchups. Uh, Tristan McKenzie, probably similar, either a wash or below. And then your third starter, Cal Quantrill, he's had a good year, but uh, all of the sort of advanced metrics that we have to judge a player uh, say he's been incredibly lucky in terms of uh, just having a really small uh, strikeout minus walk rate. Uh, having a really small strikeout rate in general uh, and relying heavily on that cutter, I just feel like uh, most teams would have a thir- better third starter. So, uh, and that's one of their strengths. Now, if you start going position by position, at least in terms of power, most teams are going to beat them. Um, and and so you're really putting a lot of pressure, again, on that thing that, you know, contact singles that, you know, can be uh, tough to predict. Yeah, well, and I guess the the benefit of that approach is you're putting balls in play, you're putting pressure on opposing teams in the postseason when teams that are more dependent on the long ball that have more swing and miss might run ice cold because they're striking out too much. Again, just playing playing the devil's advocate. No, we did have some research that came out of that Royals time, and we we looked at it, and it, you know, strikeout rate in the postseason becomes more important uh, than it does in the regular season. And I think it's what, what you were talking about. It's putting more lottery tickets out there and putting more chances, putting more balls in play. And there is some evidence that um, high contact teams um, do better against dominant pitching. Uh, high contact players and high contact teams do better against dominant pitching um, because they're not necessarily focusing on you know waiting for that middle middle pitch to hit for a homer. You may you may wait a long time, and then when it comes from Degrom, it's a hundred. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah so when you follow it off because it's 100 you right, barely exactly. got your hands on it but Stephen kwan maybe uh standing up there against the grom is just looking to go the other way and slap something in the outfield and you know, maybe it doesn't matter that's 100 100 you know Stephen kwan versus jacob de grom oh the simulation i, I gotta see that <laughs> you have to wait till the world series yeah i don't know if we're getting that matchup <laughs> The Twins have dealt with a lot of injuries this year. It's been depth guys. It's been key guys. Byron Buxton trying to work his way back from the IL, getting close to a return. Jorge Polanco is down right now. I mean, Kirilov's missed a ton of time this year. Uh, Max Kepler's banged up. Sonny Gray's dealing with a day-to-day thing. Tyler Malley, who I thought was a great addition at the trade deadline. He has been hurt, and he lost Velo before he got hurt and really didn't get a chance to make much of an impact. This is a team that... Unfortunately, I like what they've done a lot, and I have a really hard time seeing them doing anything if they somehow survive the division. Like they, they just what you were saying about Cleveland's pitching, where they're giving up something in every matchup, I think is even more true oh, about yeah. the Twins. Joe Ryan has proven it now over a little more than a calendar year. The stuff works at the big league level. It's probably more like a, a typical playoff team's number three sort of starter in terms of what he really brings and to yet the table. Number one, maybe. He's their one, and then who do you turn to after that if if Malley's still hurt? I mean, obviously Gray would be the other guy you'd want to go to early in the series, health permitting, but it, this, as, as much as this team looked like it was primed to possibly take control of the division earlier this season, injuries have really kept that from happening. 
And it, you know, what sucks is that going into the season, I would have thought this is a team that has built depth, you know, its own way. It's not the Metzian way of, of sort of paying for it. You know, it's more developing guys. And, you know, they had Royce Lewis, who was primo depth, dude, primo depth. Royce a Lewis, great player to have. Yeah, great player who can play center for you, can play short for you, looked really good you know, was ready to step in, would be super important for them. He'd be their starting second baseman right now uh, if he was healthy. He got hurt. You know, you you had uh, you had Nick Gordon uh, take a step forward, and thank God for Nick Gordon because he's mo- mostly an everyday player now, um, you know, not having over- overcome some of his gastrointestinal issues, having... Uh, become a more powerful hitter. He looks more like an every everyday regular now, um, and that's super important because he can play all over and he can help them paper over this stuff. Luis Arias, you had, uh, you know, as a floating depth guy, and he's how many plate appearances does he have? Five hundred and nine. A lot. I mean, he's gonna he's gonna get close to a hundred percent of what you'd expect uh, from a starting pitcher, starting player every day. So. You know, their depth has become their starting, and that has really tested their depth beyond that because they've kept getting injuries beyond that. So I think they've suffered, you know, above and beyond. Um, and it's just due to some good player development uh, situations with Miranda stepping up um, and Nick Gordon stepping up. Those two things have really, really saved them on the offensive side. Um, and then on the pitching side, Bailey Ober is on his way back. Um, they've done some really good things in the bullpen, I think, that and some poor decisions, I think, like playing Emilio Pagan so long. Um, but uh, and then next year, I think Duran is going to be a starter for them, and he has he's an ace if he can be a starter for them. So you know, next year maybe when they re rack, if they have better injury outcomes, they'll be they'll look like a better team in the postseason because then they can go Duran Ryan. Uh, Molly, maybe Mally, maybe. So, um, you know, I, it, I don't want to say it's not their year cause they're a game and a half out of first and they, they're still in it, but man, it just seems like they've been hit really hard it's, and they've, they've weathered it so far and maybe, maybe Buxton can come back and maybe Ober will come back and maybe it'll be enough to get in the postseason. But I agree that I, I ne- don't necessarily put them, uh, as a favorite in their first postseason uh, series if they have one. Yeah, I think the the key for them would just be hitting the way they've hit in the regular season if they get to the postseason because they've got a 110 WRC plus. It's eighth in the league. The seven teams ahead of them are probably all playoff teams. Dodgers, Cardinals, Jays, Yankees, Mets, Astros, Braves. Those are all playoff teams. So they have a playoff caliber offense despite all of the injuries they've dealt with this year. It's just the pitching that's going to really be tested if they find their way into the playoffs. And then you get the White Sox where injuries have been a problem for them too, but compared to the Twins, is it really that much worse? Maybe you could argue that because it's been Tim Anderson and Robert and guys that play up the middle, maybe Grandal has missed a lot of time. Maybe it's a slightly worse combination of injuries, but I, I don't think that's even really the case at this point in the year. We've really seen how this has played out. Dylan Cease has basically become the guy that people thought Giolito was going to be. So maybe you go Cease, Giolito, Lynn as your top three in the postseason. The bullpen hasn't been as good as expected, but still has a lot of quality arms in it. And it's just a matter of of getting this core group of position players healthy. So I actually think of these three teams, if the White Sox can right the ship, they at least on paper still look like a more complete team than the Twins and Guardians do, even though the Twins have been better in many facets this season. Yeah, I think they do get better. And, and what part of the reason why is that I think that the White Sox have poor player development. You know, I think that they're, you know, behind the scenes in terms of who they're turning out, in terms of the players that they're replacing their, their injured players with. Um, I think that you see a pretty big drop off when, you know, when Michael Kopech or Jose you know, uh, uh, when Michael Kopech or Johnny Cueto can't go, then, you know, you're you're throwing Davis Martin and Vince Velasquez, you know. It's not, it's a pretty big drop-off. Um, and that's not, there's no David Peterson there, you know what I mean? Um, and the, the way that they built their bullpen with mostly veterans 
Uh, they can't go back to back and back to back to back uh, because there's not really a lot of youth in the bullpen. So sometimes uh, the manager gets hamstrung by who he used the night before. Um, and you've seen them run into some issues there. But in the postseason, you get a lot of rest days baked in. You get a lot of uh, ways that that you can... Uh, and then also there is no tomorrow, so you will use uh, Liam Hendricks back-to-back if you might be avoiding that during the season, that sort of stuff. Um, the one thing that is difficult for me when I'm looking at this White Sox team is that I think that injury has affected players that are still on the field. Um, I, I think that uh, when you look at some of Yasmani Grandal's issues catching this year, he's has a bunch of pass balls. I would, I would suspect that his knee uh, that's, that's had him on the IL, I think three times this year uh, has something to do with that. Uh, when you look at uh, Luis Robert at the plate, like he's just, he's there, he's playing, but it's not him. You know, he's just not swinging the bat with authority like he used to. Um, and uh, I think that there have been players that have tried to play that have gone out there to play that aren't necessarily 100%. Um, you know, AJ Pollock coming on this late in the season and, and finally distri- finally showing something speaks to me that perhaps there was some health issue early in the season as well. It's, uh, it's a mix of veterans who've been hurt but have tried to stay on the field and young guys who've been hurt and try to stay on the field and and then a lot of lost player time too. So it's been a really difficult one and they don't necessarily always like when they lost their shortstop, they had to go get Alice Andrews, who might have been the worst regular uh, you know, starting shortstop in the big leagues, but at least he was a starting shortstop in the big leagues and they, they yeah. weren't like sticking Larry Garcia at shortstop every day. Um so, you know, you know, signing Larry Garcia to that deal. Uh, you know, I think normally you'd want to have a Larry Garcia coming up through your system. That's sort of who I think of like Oswald Peraza, you know, you know, you bring him up, you use him when you need depth. He, he's really great to have options on and option down, bring up. He's really useful to a team, but um, you don't necessarily sign him to a three-year deal and, and lock him in. Who wins the division if you had to pick it today? Lynn has turned it on again. Uh, Lynn is back. Um, you know, Tim Anderson's going to be back soon. Gavin Sheets is hitting some tanks. Sorry, Twins fans. I'm going White Sox. I'll take the Twins. There's a good chance we're both wrong since Cleveland has the lead right now. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I, I think the, the same kinds of things we're saying with the White Sox getting their key players healthy. Uh, we're going to get Buxton and Jorge Polanco back, I believe, in that Twins lineup. So I think that's a pretty big lift for them as well. And I just trust the I trust that offense. The consistency of the Twins offense is a key difference for me. I, I don't know why the White Sox have underperformed beyond injuries, but it seems like it's more than just injuries. There's a reason why I believe that. I started looking into some power shifts from 2021 to 2022. I was looking for the biggest increases in team slugging percentage and some of the biggest decreases in team slugging percentage. The White Sox were not among the most extreme fallers, but they are falling more than the league average in slugging percentage this year, down 0.034 in slugging percentage, which is kind of a lot in slugging percentage. Just for context, the league is down 0.016, right? We talked about the ball, the impact of opposite field home runs going away, humidors, all those factors. Slugging percentage down quite a bit for the league this year. So maybe there's more going on with the White Sox that we're going to learn about over the course of the offseason. They have a lot of underperforming, underwhelming players. Player development, I think, is an area of weakness for them as an organization. Uh, but some of the biggest risers this year. So if your team is up in slugging percentage in these conditions, you probably spent a lot of money, promoted good prospects, or you did something else as an organization to help get better. The Texas Rangers are actually the league Spend leader in increased slugging percentage. <laughs> right. Spent a lot of money, brought in Donnie Ecker, had a few young players come up this year, too, that were probably upgrades over the older players they were relying on. But up 0.022 in slugging percentage, number one ahead of even the Dodgers. But the top five, Rangers, Dodgers, Cardinals, Mets, and Yankees. Fairly confident that Yankees increase is all just Aaron Judge at this point. Just Aaron Judge's massive season has shifted the team's slugging percentage that much. They might be down without him. I should run the numbers and see. Uh, but 
that sort of all makes sense. We've been talking about contenders, and shout out to the Pirates, man. I feel like uh, they have been they've identified more uh, regular starting players. I think that's one of the main things you got to do as a rebuilding team is identify guys who will start for your team as you get better. I think they've done that. They brought up some hot top prospects that have struggled but have righted the ship, I think, and shown why they're so exciting. Reynolds has righted ship. You know, they're starting to you could actually sort of see an offensive core there. And I'm a big fan of Roenzi Contreras. So, you know, you've you maybe have your ace on your staff too. So uh I know that people hate the owner there. <laughs> um and I know that rebuild is a bad word uh in Pittsburgh, but uh, they feel like further along, like uh, pick the Pirates, uh, Royals, uh, Tigers, uh, Rangers, Reds. Where do you want to be? I actually might take the Rangers. Well, are we talking? Okay, wait. What's the question for 2023 or for the next like three years? I was thinking kind of like next three years, like organizationally, like where do you, you know. I think you included the Reds in that group, right? I don't hate what the Reds have done. I didn't like the timing of it when they started it because I thought they were still good enough in that division to possibly be a playoff team this year. But to their credit, the way they have done it, the young talent they've been able to get back, I think their future is just as bright as some of these other clubs that have been rebuilding for several years. Like this might be a relatively quick turnaround. Yeah, I, com- compared to the, we're going to take well, four to see, or five years. They're further away in some ways because like Noel B. Marte and like a lot of their talent is still in the minor leagues. So we haven't mm-hmm. seen them come up and, and like they're, the Pirates are a little bit further along in that they've called up some of those guys, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I, I, do, I like what the Pirates are doing too. I, I do think the Rangers, part, part of the thing that was surprising to me when they let John Daniels go was that the timing didn't make sense. They did take a step forward as an organization this year, depending on how you measure them. And that big wave of prospects is coming. Yeah, but it was just, um, you know, I think when you convince an owner to spend that much and then. It's what it seems like, right? You spend hundreds of millions of dollars on long-term contracts. You want to see immediate results. That's how most businesses work. I get it. Baseball's not like most businesses. And I don't think the Marcus Simeon contract is, is terrible by itself, but I think I, you know, might have been more cautious, you know, hey, let's go get Corey Seager. We don't have a great shortstop in our in our system. Like we can build around him and and then convince your owner to do that one outlay of cash. Maybe you maybe you're still around because you can say, OK, that was the first year. We're better. We have Corey Seager at shortstop. We're getting better around him. Give me another year. to <laughs> The team, you, I don't know if you mentioned them, that I really like from a short-term and long-term perspective is the Arizona Diamondbacks. They've proven to be one of the pesky teams in the National League right now where you don't really want to catch them if you're contending because they've got some young players up right now who are just kind of chomping at the bit to be in the big leagues. Corbin Carroll sort of headlining that. We talked about Ryan Nelson on rates and barrels on, on Tuesday. They're actually up in slugging percentages of the team this year as well, up slightly. They're ninth most improved or ninth best in terms of year-over-year change, and they're still loaded with prospects, more pitching to come, and a lot of impact bats that are probably a little more than a year out. Jordan Lawler, Drew Jones, uh, kind of heading up that group right now. So I, I really like the way they're positioned. They're just in the unfortunate spot of being in the NL West with the Padres pushing all their chips in and the Dodgers being the Dodgers. But how different is that than being the Orioles trying to climb in the AL East. I mean, it's probably even a tick easier because instead of having five teams all going forward at once, it's really more like three or four in the West. Do you know that the Arizona Diamondbacks are the most patient team in the big leagues? I did not know that. I did know that they've actually hit more home runs already this season than they hit all of last year. Those two things are linked. But there there are some like sort of sabermetric principles being at, at play here uh, that aren't obvious, you know, just looking at them. For example, they, they don't chase, they don't swing at balls. Alex Cobb pointed that to me. He said, I hate throwing to the Diamondbacks because they just don't chase. And, I, and he said, I think they're the best in the leagues of that. And I said, no way. It's got to be the Dodgers, the Giants, you know, the Padres after the trade. And he said, no, go look it up. And he was right. Arizona, number one. 
Another thing that I think that they do uh, pretty well is they have pretty flexible, uh, they have a flexible roster. Josh Rojas can play anywhere. Cattell Marte can play the infield and the outfield. Uh, Dalton Varsho can play catcher and center field. Uh, Jake McCarthy can, I think, play most uh, outfield positions. Uh, so can Stone Garrett. Uh, Alec Thomas and Carol Coburn Carroll can play center field. They even have some surplus in the outfield and were in discussions at the trade deadline uh, to possibly trade away some of that uh, surplus in the outfield. So I, I feel like they could have uh, a uh, they could have a trade this offseason um, that could maybe help them at shortstop or they could be, uh, you know, a team that actually decides to spend a little and get Dansby Swanson uh, back <laughs> uh, to play short. Uh, I, I do see a little bit of a glaring hole there at short that they haven't fixed over the years. And I'm not sure, um, you know, that they have the, uh, the solution in-house. I'm, I'm checking really quickly. They've well, got Lawler. Lawler, right? And he's actually still playing short. Yeah. But you could always move him to third if you went out and signed shortstop. Well, that's shortstop. the thing, too, about signing shortstops is you never know how long they're going to play shortstop. So uh, Swanson could play shortstop for a couple years. Uh, Lawler comes up, takes it from him. Swanson goes to second uh, or third. Maybe Cattell Marte is DHing by then. Uh, there's all, all sorts of ways to move down the defensive spectrum. But they have some surplus. Their best prospect is at their biggest point of need. And uh, they've been decent at developing uh, pitching. Ryan Nelson came up and showed above-average command and above-average stuff in his first start. Zach Gallen is a guy who's always wowed. Uh, I have a pitching model with stuff and location in it. He's always been a leader in that. Now he's showing how good he can be at that. And then they've found some guys. The Bumgarner tr- signing was bad, uh, but the Merrill Kelly signing was great. Um, and I think they've been okay at signing that type of depth pitcher. So if you put Gallon at the top and and, and uh, maybe uh, Nelson can be a two, now Kelly's a three, and then they're good at buying depth. So they seem to have a good approach when it comes to starting pitching. Their relief signings have been bad. Their relief philosophy is po- possibly bad. I don't know, but they have not built a good build pe- bullpen in a while. And sometimes that takes a while because you got to take failed starters and put them in there. Uh, but the Cubs this year uh, did an approach where they said, we're going to sign a bunch of one-year dealer, one-year relievers that have good stuff. They had David Robertson and Michael Givens. You know, if you give the Diamondbacks a good closer and good setup man next year, it could go a long way to make that team better. They've lost a lot of late games. Yeah, they have. I think they're top three in the big leagues. I saw that during one of the broadcasts recently. They have, they've lost a lot of leads. So that record could even be a bit better than it's been so far this year, 65 and 70, entering play on Wednesday. What do you think about the Diamondbacks as a, a sleeper team to go out and, and give Trey Turner a mega deal? I mean, star level impact. Uh, they got uh, so many young players on pre-arbitration contracts right now. I wonder if if there's any any path for them to to go out and make a big splash like that. If they could be maybe be the Texas of the 2022 offseason and and swoop in for a big middle infield free agent that way. Yeah, I don't know. I I, I you know I, I, all I see right in front of me right now is uh you know payroll. Uh, that's going to end up around 102 uh, million for this year, and then for next year is already, uh, you know, already owes 77 million before uh, arbitration, and arbitration will uh, increase the salaries for Christian Walker uh, and Carson Kelly. So I would say probably they're at 80, 85, and they were at 102 last year. So um, just based on what they've done in the past, they've been hovering around a hundred million and it doesn't seem like they have enough, uh, to, to spend. But, uh, we have seen a team like the Padres anticipate, uh, you know, talent coming through, uh, and make a move, uh, you know, whether it's because the Padres, the chargers left town or, uh, they saw something, some opportunity in San Diego, they definitely increased their payroll over time. Um, and, uh, you know, you could make that case to your ownership saying, Hey, our, 
it's a little bit different case than the Rangers where they're like, well, our young guys are down here. Let's improve the big leg roster as they come up. For the Diamondbacks, to the owner, it might be a better, easier sell. Our young guys are here. Corbin Carroll's here. Alec Thomas is here. We're doing good. Like Jordan Lawler is going to be here next year. Let's 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 make a big splash. Let's add a five plus win player to play shortstop where we really could use a boost like that. I mean, Geraldo Perdoma is really young, could still figure some things out, but I I do think that's a spot where they could get a lot better quickly if they're willing to spend up and and possibly shop in the the, the top shelf uh, of free agency this winter. Uh, some big fallers, by the way, power-wise. We'll dig into those maybe on a future episode. The Rays, the Giants, the Reds, the A's, and the Tigers. Not really a lot of surprises on that list. I guess the Rays, Brandon Lau's missed a lot of time. Wander's been hurt. That seems yeah. injury to me. That's what that one seems like. The Giants, Giants are uh, old. Oof, injuries for them, too. Um, the Reds you know, lost a ton of players. So sold and, everybody, yeah. Yeah, A's and Tigers are in rebuilds, so no big surprises there. But uh, the, but the Rays having that Tigers drop maybe off a little bit of a surprise because you were supposed to be bringing, calling people up. You, you, you did make some signings. You did have some veterans. You thought maybe that's why the GM lost his job because you thought this was the culmination of the rebuild, I think. I think that's also what happened in Texas. It's like if you if your owner thinks that this was supposed to be the culmination of the rebuild and then you take a step back, that's a death knell. Yep, I would agree with that. I, I mean, very last in terms of year-over-year change in slugging percentage. That tells you that player development probably fell short, decision-making on the big league roster, lots of areas had to go wrong to be the worst team year-over-year in slugging percentage change. We are going to go on our way out. I will remind everyone you can get a subscription to The Athletic for a dollar a month at theathletic.com slash baseball show. You can find Eno on Twitter at Eno Saris. You can find me at Derek Van Riper. The Athletic Baseball Show returns on Friday. You've always got the green light here. 